710 ESPN presents The Experience with Lafern Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Lafern Cusack. Today, I'm speaking with Dean Harris. He's a technologist, an entrepreneur, and author of The Black Art of Living. In The Black Art of Living, Dean writes essays that address the concerns of anyone desiring to live a fulfilled life, regardless of race. It is his sincere desire that these essays provide a practical guidepost for those seeking a life of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. We have a little bit of background. I met you a few months ago through Brian Wright, and he said that you are the man with technology in his hand. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you gravitated in towards t- technology. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been involved in technology for over 40 years. I guess the bulk of it was in my, my core. It was 10 years at Bell Labs as a researcher. Serendipitously, someone wanted to go to tech school when I was a teenager. I said, all right, I'll go with you. You know, just like a friend of mine. We went out to tech school. Um, it's the Ryan Chicago, and I was 17. And after two years, I was kind of like halfway finished up some things. And IBM recruited me at 19 to come in. They had There was a real shortage, so they was recruiting engineers early. And so they came in and somehow, you know, serendipitously again, got recruited. I wasn't even know about it. My mother called me and said, this is from IBM. I'm trying to meet you. So I went up to New York. And got hired. You know, before you know it, I'm 19 years old <laughs> in Kingston, Poughkeepsie, New York, at IBM. You know, but, <laughs> person just like right. You're mm-hmm. you're 19. How did that feel? That you know, IBM was looking for you. I, I didn't even know who IBM was. At 19. <laughs> <laughs> I thought mean, they made typewriters or something, but I didn't had no idea. But you know, I, you know. right. And um, you know, I, I did well. I did well in school, and in the school, there was a lot of people coming back from Vietnam. So there was a lot of people taking care, taking advantage of the um, VA program, um, the vet program. And so I was young and I was fresh so I could help them out with the, with the schoolwork, classwork. And they would mentor me like big brother, uncle. They would tell me the ways of the world. I'm 17, 18 years old. They 26, 27, just been out of war. So that was a really good relationship of me being like the little brother, uh, helping them out with you know, whatever it is, math or electronics or whatever. And, and and them looking over me. What IBM did, they was they was had a big shortage of engineers. So what they did is that all these recruits, they put us in school full time, IBM school, eight hours a day for like twelve twelve or fifteen months. So it was an immersion of electronics, computers, da 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 da, everything. And so between that, at twenty here I am at twenty years old just been immersed in this new world of digital computers. So I'm in Poughkeepsie, Kingston, New York, and that's how I got into um, electronics, technology, and really the beginning of the microcomputer industry. This was before Microsoft was incorporated. So it was at the very, very, very beginning of the of the microcomputing industry. Matter of fact, we were we were building hob- as hobbyists. We were you know building building computers as hobbyists on that time. So that's very so, interesting because yeah. they were mm-hmm. like. Nowadays, I've never heard of a company investing that much time to train their employees. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. At that time, IBM had their own education system. I mean, they had 
huge education systems because they, they would always retrain people to upgrade or whatever they, and every one of their systems they had a school for. Wow. So they don't really have that today, but it was, it was IBM was, their own, was his own university because they, they wanted to brainwash it IBM way. So they, you know, whatever you learn in school, good. Get, get it away from it because we're going to retrain you. Now, I know like one of the biggest skiing or organizations is the black engineers. <laughs> Back mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. when you were there and going into IBM, how were there a lot of black tech people with you? Or were... in 1976, there was few and far between. Mm. And there was, you know, I guess I was a pioneer. You could say there were some, mm-hmm. but not not many, not many. And what happened was that uh, even the ones that were there, there, there wasn't really the social gathering and mentoring as it is now. So basically you can say that it was you, if you go to a conference back then and it was 300 people in the conference, there might be two or three of y'all in the whole room. And so what was your specialty or what is your specialty? My, my specialty um, uh, it was, was software and operating system design because after IBM a couple of years, I decided oh, I don't want to live upstate New York no more. I want to <laughs> New York City, I'm going back to Philadelphia. Uh, you know, all the other stuff. I said, I'm going to be a consultant and just try my hat and build my, build microcomputers myself and do everything I want to do myself. You know, I'm, they begged me, oh, don't leave. My mother was crying on the phone. Oh, you know, and my manager at IBM was saying, if he can stay five more years, we'll have a great career here. Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, but me being, I guess, you know, <laughs> far as where I am, <laughs> I'm out. Oh. Okay. So I started. <laughs> so I started this consulting thing. You know, I was like, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I was pretty good at what I knew, but I didn't really know, you know, really what I knew. Mm-hmm. And so, but I am, you know, lifelong learner. So I started doing consulting in building personal computers, not even before personal computers, microelectronics for companies, and and writing what they call software. But it was at that time it was assembly language software. It was even before high-level languages was available for these microcomputers. You had to write them all in what we call assembly language or machine code. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that, like, you know, just, and people said I was good at it. (laughs) So there wasn't that, (laughs) and there wasn't that many people doing it, right? So I guess you had to be good at it because that many people doing it. The old engineers who were really good, they didn't want to play around with this new stuff. Mm -hmm. So the old engineers who were smart, they would say, well, you know, you build that and we'll tell you what to do. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And so I got a big break um, that someone wanted me to come to DuPont in, in Glasgow, Delaware, right outside North Delaware. And they was building uh, an automatic clinical analyzer, ACA. And it takes the blood and urine and through these microcomputers and this heat and stuff, they can tell you what type of disease you have. So it's like a testing, like mm-hmm. a testing. If you want to test for diabetes, you take a blood sample, a urine sample, you run it through a cup and you run it through a food, through a heat, ultraviolet light. And they want to build a new one. So they said, this new guy is pretty good at this stuff. I wound up building the whole new ACA for them. Wow. I'm like 21 years old. 21 wow. years old. Here I, go, yeah. Here I go get as far as Gump. I was just like, <laughs> the engineer who was there, he like, he said, Steve, he could do all of this. So I built it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Give it a day. Al Chaparino. He's like, hey, I, I was just, I, mean, I was fortunate. 
Because uh-huh. I, I, I had a talent, but all this stuff is just serendipity, right? But- and I, I didn't plan any of this. Didn't plan to go to school. Didn't plan IBM. Didn't plan <laughs> to leave IBM. Didn't plan DuPont. Like, all this stuff. Isn't that funny? And then after that, people people were telling me how good I was at this stuff. Man, you, you're, you're amazing. And I'm studying everything. And Byte Magazine was a big magazine. We were all kind of like, there was no really a lot of formality to it. This was even before computer science curriculum was in many of the schools. 90% of the schools at the time did not have computer science curriculum. Not at that time, in the late mm. 70s. Mm. Okay. So we were really, this was really uh, uh, you know, an emerging industry. Mm. And yes. then I got recruited by Bell Labs. And Bell Labs was like the number one research place in the world. AT&T's research. I'm getting scared now. Like, oh, man, they're going <laughs> to find me out. Okay, I was okay over there. I am young, but like, oh, man, these guys are Stanford, PhDs, oh, MIT, oh. So, but what happened was that they had a project that needed a person who knew both software and hardware for the build testing. So they need somebody. So, they, so I was going to, I was telling them when I was doing a little never guy, I said, oh, you're perfect. Let's go. What do you want to start? <laughs> so, Is start there as a consultant. For, like, I'm telling you the truth. This is the, this is the honest truth, man. No more. And so I, I was starting to go there six months to a year as a consultant. Okay, come in, da da da, do this. Why not stay in there 10 years as a consultant? So that's how. I migrated from that 17-year-old who was just going to school with my friend Tech so I can get away from Philadelphia to Chicago to, you know, 14 years later, you know, everybody calling me a subject matter expert and everything, <laughs> computer electronics, software, but I'm teaching stuff, I'm going around, I've done everything. So. Isn't it and interesting? So, yeah, so I, I guess this, isn't it interesting how like you just do what you do and you as yourself you're like yeah what it's no big deal but everyone around you is like oh you're amazing and i'm like um this is really simple <laughs> yeah, and, and but you know don't get me wrong i was I would, I would like, I would be studying. I'd be keeping up and reading books, right? I'm reading whatever the latest journals were. I would keep up with the technology and all that sort of type of schools that they have, you know, classes they would have. So I was always kind of like, you know, you know, burning the candle. And then, but I was, everything was on the fly. Like, in other words, I'm, I call it just-in-time learning. You need something, learn something. So before school is, <laughs> you, you learn, 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 learn. Maybe you never need it. Learn, 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 learn. And then maybe you'll need it. Right. That's how school works. Yes. And I was doing everything just in time. Oh, you need something, learn something. You need something, learn something. So you, you would, everything was very connected. And okay. so, so, yeah. Yeah, so how did you, how, how are you keeping up with technology today? Well, it's, it's kind of easy today because it's like the roots never change. It's like, you know, it's like learning algebra, you know, like, some stuff never changes. Like the basic language has never changed. So whether it's C plus plus, C sharp, Java, so on. So the, the core stuff never changes. Okay. And I guess after forty years, I guess I'm just a junkie. I don't really know. I'm just like <laughs> it just kind of just sticks with me like a habit. Like I'm an addict or something. I don't know. I don't even know how. They, so everybody, I have friends. So people come. Do you know about so and so? What about this crypto stuff? Eh, Bitcoin is that? Okay, well, let me check it out. Oh, yeah. What are they doing? Oh, they doing that type of stuff. So, so I, you know, I got a whole network of friends and colleagues over years and so on. So I just. And I'm just, you know, I'm autodidact, so I'm just interested in stuff. Yeah, tell me about this crypto mm-hmm. stuff. I, I'll tell people 
as, and I have a good friend of mine. I say he, he's like Spock. He knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything he knows. <laughs> and he goes deep in it, too. He just called me this morning. Crypto. I don't know a lot about it. Oh, I know a lot. You know, I know what the blockchain is. You know, blockchain is just a way of kind of like digitizing and creating a, a ledger on something. So it's, mm. so it's personal. And every time something changes, it would know the change. So the technology behind this crypto stuff is all pretty much the same. Oh, they have tons of coins. Of course, Bitcoin is the most mm-hmm. popular one. But the blockchain is the actual the technology behind it. Now, one thing like anything like markets, if it goes up by a factor of five, or down by a factor of five. I don't know if anybody knows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when it goes up by a factor of five, everybody's expert. Oh, see, see my book going up more than 10,000. That's 50,000. I told you should have got it a long time ago. Oh, you're missing the wave. Yeah. So, you know, so I, you know, so when it, when it comes to that, I don't know if any, anybody has a magic ball, even though everybody says they have a magic ball. Yeah. Maybe they did. Smarter, smarter people than me. So, so, but but it's obviously that it's here to stay. I mean, you know, PayPal and Visa, and you got they got Bitcoin ATMs where you can put your put your Bitcoin yep. ID in, and cash out in cash. So, like, it's obvious that the regular what they call fiat currency, regular currency, is, is you know the, the crypto has made its way into the regular currency. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to play a role in how we trade and do currency, you know, now and in the future. Mm-hmm. Are you excited about the future for technology? I'm excited. I don't, th- I think technology is like, I tell you, knowledge doesn't do, I- I'm going to, you know, Einstein said imagination is greater than knowledge. I tell people knowledge is easy, ideas are hard. Everybody gets, oh, D, you don't know what you're talking about. It's all about execution. I said, no, 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 no. It's not about execution. Anybody who knows something can execute it. You know, a mechanic can build, you know, a carpenter can build a house. No, no, you don't get it. Everybody got good ideas, but they can't execute. I said, okay, let me explain something. What if Google had the idea for Facebook? Now, quickly, they would execute that. In three days, they'd have a social. Mm-hmm. They got smartest people in the world over there. But Facebook had the idea, and they executed on that idea. Everything, that's why Einstein says imagination is greater than knowledge. You know, knowledge is flat, and the internet is kind of a flat without the knowledge curve. Why they, you know, it's what's this whole YouTube universe. You know how many people learn things on YouTube? Really learn too. Right. So, right, right. So, so, and, so it's been, knowledge has been democratized. Before you had to go to these secret schools, right? You go to MIT, you go to Stanford, you go so and so. You go, you come out of here, nah, he's special. <laughs> now, now stuff has been democratized all over. You go, you know, the same courses. I mean, the same computer science or chemistry 101 is taught in community colleges taught in Stanford. So it's not, the knowledge itself. Mm-hmm. I see. No, no, yeah. right, right. I think people um, they they overrate knowledge. <laughs> yes, I yeah, I, I I think that too because like for instance, if we're talking about you and your life, you are going through your journey and you learn things when you need to learn it, and things come to you and. It's just on your path of life, which is uncertain. Mm, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty much, yeah. So it's kind of like, I mean, 
if you read um, Life and Times of Thomas Edison, you know, his, his book, he said, he, he always said he never trusted those trained engineers. <laughs> 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 he was always suspicious of all those trained engineers. He you know, you, you had a thousand patents, right? <laughs> it was, uh, I used to work at an engineering um, animation company back in Chicago, mm-hmm. in Chicago, actually. And every time, mm-hmm. every time we went to lunch, it was, it was a puzzle. It's like, okay, um, if we stop at every stoplight, it's going to take us longer than if we go every green light. And I'm just like, let's mm. just get to lunch. Come on, let's just get to lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know, most engineers, I remember the place I was at Bell Labs, 5,000 engineers in this building. Wow. So, and so all it's you know I learned a lot about engineers, including myself. I said all engineers have Asperger, probably including me. Right? <laughs> I, I just have a kind of a fancier version of it. I can kind of hide my <laughs> But but you know, an Asperger is a form of autism. So there's a there's a certain uh, plus and minus right. to the engineering mind. Yes, mm-hmm. you have this book, an author of the Black Art of Living. And mm-hmm. you speak the truth to power. Tell us about it. Well, I wanted to, you know, people have always, you know, a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of my son's friends call me Socrates because I'm always kind of philosophical when I come back. So I wanted to put something in essays in kind of a short form to let you know that you can have a great life regardless of where you're at on the scale. But if you have a lot of money, you can have a great life. If you have a little bit of money, I've seen people with a lot of money, they didn't have a great life. I've seen people with a lot of money with a great life. I've seen people with a little money with a great life. And little money, you know, struggle. So those essays are kind of like a lot of it is my personal journeys with ex- with, with explanation of how to circumvent uh, a racist society because racism doesn't doesn't go away and still have a productive good life still have a good life so that that's that's what it's all about the first chapter but after the intro is called fun factor. Most people won't tell you that you should be having fun doing what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> right. They'll call you a slacker. They call you mm. BSing. They call you ain't taking your career seriously. Right. But people love me about that because I'm fun. Mm-hmm. And after a while, they, the, the, the uppers will say, Dean, you know, I've got something to work on. You're going to enjoy it, though, man. You know, for real. I've got something. I know you don't want to work on it. You'll enjoy it. They would be intimidated to ask me to something because if it wasn't no fun, I'd say, ah, oh, I ain't going to do Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So... Right. So a lot of us who are into survival mode, right? A lot of, especially African-Americans who are into survival mode are afraid to believe that they can have a career where they can have fun, enjoy themselves and, and be productive and make money mm-hmm. because they thought that life should be kind of a grind and you grudge and you just pay your bills and you keep quiet. Mm-hmm. But no, that's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know? um, so I kind of, I opened up with that. That's and cool. then I am. Um, the next one is called Shmiism, the subject matter expert. You know, we all, everyone is a Shmi in their own way. And if you just watch a child, look at a child come to you, nobody has to tell a child to do homework. <laughs> child learns by playing. And mm-hmm. it keeps playing. And it keeps figuring it out. And it plays. It's trial and error. And it plays. And it, whatever the interests are, they keep doing it. And if you have an interest you keep doing it sooner or later you're going to do the proverbial 10,000 hours of Michael mm-hmm. Malcolm that well and you want the expert in it you know okay yes in baseball basketball you know whatever you know um whatever you, whatever you're doing um so that that shmeism allows you to have an identity 
Mm-hmm. You know, I call it the Popeye identity. I am. You know, Popeye say I am what mm-hmm. I am. That's all that I am. Popeye the Salad Man cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when you say I am, that when I teach people, the students that were teaching when they were in junior high school and middle school, as soon as they start saying I am, I knew they got it. You know, Dean, I'm a computer science. Dean, I'm a so-and-so. Because once you identify that, that's who you become. So the Shemitism helps you to define the I am. But isn't that kind of going against what you're saying in regards to, um, uh, like, living your life, not identifying with money and status and just... Right. Right. I, I, it could be a hobby. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> could be a hobby. Most she start off as hobbies. Okay. <laughs> so, it's not to do with money at all. <laughs> the fact that you're an expert or something, you're like, when we were younger, the guy who could fix the bikes... We have, we, I break my bike, and, you know, night June, can you help me with the bike? Oh, yeah, give me a pedal. Yeah. He was a shmee. <laughs> He's like, like, can you help me with my bike? Oh, yeah, can you skate? Yeah, yeah. So, and nothing to do with money. has nothing to do with it. Now, later, could he have became a mechanic? Sure. <laughs> could he open up a bike shop? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what people would have went to? Sure. He had a brand. He went to bike for night June, fix your bike, man. Mm-hmm. So- right. So it has nothing to do with, right, right. So people think that because you're saying that you're expert or something, you know, focused on money. I'm like, that's good. You can do that too. But before you do that, you enjoy what you do. You're going to do it anyway. You develop yourself, whether it's for fun or profit. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think also with this pandemic, and I've said it several times, is that um, for me, because, you know, I speak out of, you know, personal experiences is that over this past year, it's been so difficult just to, you know, you know, the news and Floyd being murdered and all this, sure, all these sure, deaths sure. and your fa- families, family members dying of COVID. It, it was such yes, yes. a rough year. Like I look back and I'm was, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was, it, it felt like I was crying half of the year, you know? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, um, Seeing how I was able to look at my life in a different way because I was totally hustling the whole like all these years. And my son is like, I'm at work, working 12 hours, 13 hours a day. Mommy, please come home. And I'm like, what was I doing to myself? Like my body was finally able to relax and yeah. Uh, and put that focus on me and my family and knowing how to navigate in a way that I do things for me in regards to, is this fun for me? I'm not going to do it out yeah. of money. If money comes, that's mm-hmm. great. But mm-hmm. I have to operate that way now because I, I can't, I'm not going to kill myself for someone who's given me a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sound like a shmee to me. And it also <laughs> sounds like one of the things I call oh, O-Y-T, I call it own your time. It says health currency, time currency. Mm. It's all you need, really. Health and time. Yeah, yeah. Right, you'll figure out the other, you'll figure out the other currencies. Okay. When will I fill up, don't figure that out? Either. Don't have to be Bitcoin either. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Dean, so you use... You know, you're using this book, um, The Black Art of Living, um, as part of mentorship, and it has a lot to do with the game as well. You you, you talk about Allen Iverson in the book. Can you explain that? I think I think in the faith essay, I mentioned 
our lives because you know we all grew up most of us grew up playing basketball baseball sports so it's a very easy to relate to whether you're in a barbershop you don't have to have a whole lot of high level stuff going on and when I, when I was you know I was in Philadelphia I've seen him he say 6'1 it looked like, more like 5'11 I don't know but when I saw it um, I said wow you know theoretically he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing on the court you know at that at that height mm-hmm. and, and, and under that level of competition and he the belief he had to have in himself you know, required a lot of faith in himself to execute the way he and dominate, not just execute, he dominated for like 10 years. and his number one jersey for 10 years in the NBA. And so you don't really think of, of faith and basketball in the same, in the same way. Mm. But it's obvious that he demonstrated exuberant personal faith in his ability to develop himself as well as to execute at the highest level of competition in order to achieve what he achieved. Mm-hmm. So I kind of use that as a kind of a, a simple scenario. Right. And I, um, mm-hmm. I was up last night. I, was, I wasn't I was sleeping, as also was Kurt Warner. He was, like, tweeting out. He said, uh, I didn't sleep well, so up watching some tape to prepare for the upcoming draft. While doing so, I began wondering why people continue to scrutinize height so much with quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think that's the same thing as you were saying with Allen Iverson, right? Yeah, well, you know, it, statistically, right, you know, if, if you want to draft a guard today, you know, you want the guy to be 6'3 or 6'5. 6'3 now is a small guard. So you can understand. I mean, I, Allen Iverson is, is a, you know, he's, um, you know, he, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the average guy, right? He's mm-hmm. an anomaly. So, so I'm using him as an exception just to show you that even though he is an exception, it's, it's possible. And the same grit and determination and passion that he used to become exemplary in basketball, you can use that same grit, passion to become exemplary in any other field you choose. Amen. You want to be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, software technologist, computer. So it's really the same process mm-hmm. regardless if the outcome is basketball or not. Right. And Dean, do you right, take right. that teaching to in your mentorship as well? I know you do a lot of mentorship uh, for young people. Indirectly, I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to, to, to preach right to people because it, usually I, I call it evidence-based teaching. Mm-hmm. What I, what you try to do is help somebody get to the next level of what they're doing. So, if, you know, if the person's an entrepreneur, you try to connect them up with deals, you try to give some advice, you try to give some other people a compliment to as well. And once they see that you're engaging in, in their own self-interest, because people move off self-interest versus just people moving off anybody preaching, then you be, then you become a, a trusted a trusted advisor, right? It's, it's ev- everything is evidence-based, and you know you know you don't have to have ten executive certified coaches next to your name, man. Right? If you have evidence, right, mm-hmm. right. So what so what do you do when you mentor? Can you talk about? The students that you you help and what kind of programs you do? Yeah, I, I don't even know if it's like as you probably know, it's probably not formal. <laughs> yes. But um, this is what I'm gonna give you a couple of scenarios and how I started um, putting the curriculum together to teach computer science in high school. Um, a really good friend and colleague of mine asked me to come and speak at a STEM conference for high schools. And she, you know, she knew my background, and we worked together, mm-hmm. colleagues. And so I said, okay, okay. I, mean, I said, I'll just tell them what I did. And then there was other people on the stage, and everybody presented really well. 
So I came and I told them that, you know, I was, you know, help actually, you know, invent DVD technology. And I was first software development, got a technical Emmy for it. And first 50,000 DVDs from Warner Brothers came out of that. And all of a sudden at the end, the students came up to me and said, can you teach me what you know? Ah, they came <laughs> like, whoa, hey, there you go. So this is, there I go again, far as gone, right? Yes. So I said, uh, I talked to um, Michelle and Dr. Bracey and I said, hmm, maybe we can do something that the school after school and uh, security couldn't do it. So uh, Dr. Bracey said, we could do it on Temple on Saturday. I have, you know, I have a program, I have a STEM program. I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And then I recruited one of my, one of my favorite um, mentees, my digital son, Tariq. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to start teaching um, computer science to high schools and middle school. I said, but guess what we're going to do? We're not going to use these little computer programs that people tell you. So we're going to teach them as if they was taking their first course in college. We're going to use the same core curriculum, um, the art and science of Java that was taught by, in Stanford. <clears throat> um, we're going to use that as, as the curriculum. And then we're going to work them through and have them, help them um, develop some, some apps or stuff like that. And so it was nine or two on Saturdays. We came around 15, 20 people came. They start liking it, you know. Tariq is very live. He runs code differently now. He's probably one of the best computer science teachers. Like he knows the subject and he's very entertaining. Mm. So when you, when you when you both when you know the subject and you're entertaining, it works it works well. Yes, like so, <laughs> <laughs> he's doing digital science. He's doing it for twenty years. He's, he's been, he worked for me for six years. So he's been, him and my son are like you know. People call you. He was like, "Where's your son at, man?" He's not doing it. He's not my son. So. People was nine to twelve, and people would be staying at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. Like, what is this? <laughs> when, when do you see students coming on a Saturday staying six hours? So, it 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 comes from energy, I believe. Mm-hmm. I believe it's energy. I believe if you have the energy and, and you know and you know the subject, and I think the, I think the energy is, is contagious. Yes. And then it becomes viral and it's spread and someone touches it. They tell their parents about you. And, and you know, and then when we, next year, when we took them to Silicon Valley, we did the, I don't know if you've seen that, the film we put together, a little documentary we put together. And we yes. visited Google. Yeah, we visited Google and they took a course at Stanford for one day. And then we went to all types of startups in San Francisco. Yeah, you have friends out there, what's it called, colleagues out there. Um, then they started seeing them. This is not this is not just us in Philadelphia no more. Mm. We were at Google. Mm. <laughs> we were in Silicon Valley. <laughs> to say, yeah, I took him to Audible the year before. A friend of mine was a big manager in Audible.com. And I, this is Audible. This is anywhere. And you can buy this stuff on the internet. It's the same company. <laughs> so it connects, right? Yes. Run DMC, the Beast of Time and the Rhymes connect. So now it connects that you're not just doing a side project on Saturday. But this leads to what people are really doing in the industry. Yes. Oh my um, gosh, how amazing. Yeah, so yeah, so you know, so fortunate there I go again I had to have a friend of mine who worked at Bell Labs who's who's a big uh, uh supervisor at, uh, at at Audible. And he was like, Yeah, hey, bring them all up, man, we're gonna have a good day. Well, I'm special, I'm gonna set the whole day up for them. They're gonna talk CEO going CEO gonna talk to them and everything, man. That's cool. So yeah, we had, um so no, so that's you know, and then uh, another good friend of mine who built a company at Bell Labs. He wanted me to join the company back and I was 24, 25. I was too busy running around having fun and making money. They was working too hard. But they built a very successful company, a testing company. And I had him become the keynote speaker. They sold the company you know, years later. He became the keynote speaker at one of the ones. So 
it, things things connect. Usually, when you go to a lot of these programs in first robotics and STEM in high school, they, there's good instruction, but there's, there's a gap between what they're doing and what they think is really industry ready. Mm. And what we were doing, they saw they saw it was industry ready that that we were really connected to to what people were really doing in the industry. Mm. Mm. Tariq is, was, you know, high end was a high end software developer. Right. It was coming in teaching on side. Well, that's great. And all right, Dean, how can we get your book, The Black Art of Living? Okay, well, you can go to the Black Art of Living, blackartofliving.com, and you can purchase the book. And I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy and send you a note. I'm going to put it on Amazon in about maybe two or three weeks, but I wanted, I wanted, I wanted the people to come to the website and buy it. That way I'll have direct contact with them. Yeah. Other things they were doing, it'll be it's more, of a, it's more of a personal relationship. Yes. And who did the art? Yeah, going through. Oh, oh, Jordan, Jordan, Jamal, that's another good story. I mean, she, she ain't got four more hours, but it's another good story. Another serendipity. I was bored one day. I said, oh, let me go to New York and take a little course on something. And that about seven years ago, I took a course on iOS or something like that. While we was doing the students in, in Java. So. so I went to New York, was taking this course. And a guy was in, in the course says, I want you to meet this guy I work for. You, you seem to know this stuff. So I met him, and then he had a little software and a media company. And one of the guys in the company was Jordan. He was a really great visual artist. And he was a young soul, very cultural and Afrocentric. We, all of us became less like my New York family. We all clicked it up. Season the Concrete was the name of the book they were built up. And I said, Jordan, I got an idea for a book cover. I want, I want man, woman, and child on one side to let you know it has to happen in the family. They need to cross this bridge. And when they cross the bridge, they're going to live a very empowered life, the whole black art of living. So I want culture and art and engineering and so on. So I just gave him a little sketch, little like little pencil sketch. Right. And, and a, one week he came back with so I said, whoa, whoa. <laughs> is that okay, Dean? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go get ready. We find it. And and actually, we we actually saw posters of the, of the artwork, and um and we have actually frame frame art of it as well too, canvas art. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so that was just, mm-hmm. Okay, and before I let you go, so um, Brian was also telling me that um, you participate in a what is it a clubhouse meeting every Saturday that runs until like three in the morning. I was, <laughs> I was um, like, what? Forrest Gump again. Black Forrest Gump again. Okay. My son and them threw me on Clubhouse. They threw me, oh, you got to be on Clubhouse. Everybody tweak. Nominated. Are you nominated? Come on right now. Get in the room. All right. All right. All right. Okay. I said, I'm, I've heard all the rhetoric in the world. Okay. No problem. Um, but then I was bruised, uh, crowd in mind. It was this room called The Legacy of Malcolm X. I said, oh, yeah, I know something about that. I, you know, raised in Mace of Islam. And I'm in the community, da, da, da. You know, I'm in the we named it. You know, I'm there. We've been through the whole process over 45 years. You know, you know, that's my family. You know, I said, so let me see what they're talking about. You know, like, everybody has something to say about Malcolm X, right? You know, um, so I go in there and, and, and the moderators were there and so on, so on, so on. And then they asked me to come up and I just said, I didn't want to overtake the room. I want them just to be a listener and just like kind of a lurker, you know. I said a couple of comments and a couple of comments, let them know that I was you know, part of this community coming up, still part of the community. You know, you know I know people who live with my collection. 
So, you know, uh, my, my friend Frank Kareem, you know, he's a big picture baby with Malcolm holding him in his hand. You know? <laughs> so, it's different. It's not <laughs> mythical to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. So, so they started saying, wow, we want you to be a moderator. Next week, can you moderate with us? <laughs> and then, you know, the other moderators, they wouldn't join a group. And so, you know it. And I'm looking in the room, there's 50, 60 people. And every, no one's going home. No one's going to the We all lonely. Four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. Everybody's like, Dead serious, you know, and dead like sincere about that. So there must be some type of liberation thing going on. And now I think it's about the fifth week, and and every week it seems to get bigger, and, and people stay up. I thought I said, look, look, I'm going to I'm four o'clock. I'm gonna check out. <laughs> <laughs> I love y'all. I'm leaving at four o'clock. All right, is that good? I'm leaving at four o'clock. But right. <laughs> It's great that you can have conversations, mm-hmm. and then you're able to. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I never expect that again, either, right? I never expect that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now I got a whole other community, right? I got a whole yes. other people. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I really enjoy this conversation. I I hope that maybe I could give you a call every now and again, and we could talk talk some more because I really think that. Oh I'm... yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it, when the stuff calms down, I, mean, I, I used to I used to come out of L.A. I don't know seven eight times a year. So oh. Calms down. I even talk. I come out. You know, put me. I've been out Brian and I've been out in L.A. with Brian over a period of years. Oh. Time. So I would love to. I would love to. Please feel free to call, and I would love to come out and please chat and exchange and any any way I can be of assistance to anybody. To oh, some kind thank of local you. Book. Anything I could do to help us. That's what that's what I'm here for, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're a leader, you're serving, so if you're doing anything, you're uh, serving. Well, thank mm. you. Mr. Dean Harris, technologist, entrepreneur, and author of The Black Art of Living. How can we get in touch with you, find out more about your book? Right. Blackartofliving.com uh, um, is probably the best way to get in touch with me. I have a little Twitter, I have a little Black Art of Living Twitter feed, but I don't really... I haven't chat. I haven't chit chatted on Twitter. All my friends say, "I'm going to your social media, Dean. Come on, man. We'll get the IG up and everything. I got you covered." I was like, "Okay, okay, okay." I said, "Well, I said I want to do a slow burn first, but let it slow. Family, friends, get make sure all my friends get the book, and then we'll have a uh, you know formal uh, you know we have we have a formal PR program, uh, that type of thing. So, right, yeah. So, like, you can hit me on Facebook, Dean Harris on Facebook. You find me." On Facebook, so I'm I'm all over the place. It should right. be hard to find. You put Dean Harris, you put Dean Harris STEM Philadelphia in Google search, you, I, I should come up, you know, with, all, with articles that people read on me. And like Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Dean Harris. Again, technologist, entrepreneur, and author of the Black Art of Living. And you could go to the blackartofliving.com. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on 710 ESPN. 